what's your home life like? I'm assuming that because you're here, most of you are not test tube babies or clones, you have parents in some form or another. What's your relationship with them like? How do you interact with them? I'm sure that some of you have very different stories. For some of us, we're privileged, privileged to have great parents. We can look back on our lives and we have very fond memories of, of how much they've loved us, how much they've cared for us, how they've instructed us and have encouraged us and, and have charged us to walk in a manner worthy of God. But other of us, others of us, um, we don't have such fond recollections. It is possible that some of you here might even not, you might not even know one or more of your parents. I was reminded, uh, even in the psalm reading today, about the privilege of being a believer, of knowing God. When um, when Josh was reading Psalm 27, verse 10, and he said, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. That's As Christians, we have this great privilege of being a part of God's family. We are now folded in. We're we're one of his children. And even despite bad situations, whether our parents were cruel or they were distant, or even if they were great, we now have a broader definition of family. It's a great and it's an amazing and it's a wonderful thing. Leaders in particular play a significant role as spiritual fathers and mothers to those who lacked it growing up. In fact, in the passage that we're going to look at today, we're given parental pictures of Christian leadership. Paul considers himself both mother and father to this young Thessalonian congregation. So as I was thinking about a title for this sermon, I almost called it, Who's Your Daddy? But I would have had to add, and your mommy, and that didn't quite have the same ring to it, so I left it out. But, uh, you know, joking aside, leaders play a significant role in the spiritual development and emotional health of the church. I know that while I was in seminary, the elders at Clifton Baptist Church, our sponsor church, they were, they lived as spiritual fathers to me. I am deeply and forever indebted to them for the, the care and for the concern and for the encouragement that they gave and that they still give to me. I look at them as spiritual fathers. They have played such a profound impact in my life. They've, they've, they've changed my life in so many ways, and I'm truly grateful. You know, and so serving as shepherds, as, as elders, as spiritual parents, this is, this is the role of, of spiritual leadership, but it, it's one of great privilege and of great responsibility. It's one that we as, as, as Christian leaders have to be careful in, in what we do and how we act and how we have relationships with you all. Therefore, Paul reminds us that we must be careful to serve in these ways to the glory of God and for the good of others. And as we'll see in the text, Christian leaders are not to use their positions as abusers, but instead are to serve as loving mothers and instructing fathers. Let's go ahead and look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 5 through 12. 
Paul says, We never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The first picture that Paul describes of a Christian leader is that he's not an abuser. In verses 5 and 6, Paul is continuing to give explanation of chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, of how his work among the Thessalonians has not been in vain. Primarily because his message, his motives, and his methods, they weren't selfish at all. He was not speaking in order to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. So he reiterates, he says, For we never came with words of flattery. We're not trying to butter you up to gain advantage from you. We're not seeking to swoon you or or to sweet-talk you, to use your position or to use you for our own personal gain, for our own personal advancement. We're not using you to seek our own ends. He says, as you know, nor with pretext for greed. We did not come in order to profit from you, to gain wealth, to gain possession. Unlike so many false teachers that were prevalent in that day who would speak, who would come with letters of endorsement in order to really swindle the crowd out of money, out of wealth, out of, out of material possessions, Paul's coming in such a way as to seek the glory of God. He doesn't want to gain anything from them materially. He says in verse 6, Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. His motivation was not to receive praise or power from people. He wasn't concerned about his approval ratings. He didn't see his life worth as being how many Academy Award nominations he's received or how many times he's hit, he's made it to the, on, on the top 100 charts or how many friends or fans he has on Facebook. That's not Paul's concern. He didn't care about how many people gathered even to hear him preach on Sunday morning. He was not in it for the glory of himself. You know, even in ministry, there is a huge temptation to flatter or to seek gain or to seek personal glory. It happened throughout the early church, as we've seen these rhetoricians who have come in with their their letters of approval and tried to gain people to their side, even away from Paul, away from the true gospel. And it happens today. I mean, we can turn on our TVs and we see these pastors and they're promising God's favor if you'll only give to gospel ministry. And they take that money and they take it with them home into their expensive mansions 
and their luxury cars and their personal jets and all their fine adornments. But oftentimes it can happen in a much more subtle way. We as Christian leaders can, can sell out without really even realizing we're doing it. When we get more concerned with the number of nickels we have in our bank account or in the number of noses that walk through the door on Sunday morning or sitting here in the seat, we sell out. It becomes about what we can gain. It comes about, we're concerned about our pride. We're concerned about everything except the things that we ought to be concerned about. The the reality is we're here to preach the gospel so that lives might be changed. No matter how few, no matter how insignificant they might seem, this is the call for us. But if our motivation is simply to get more people in the door or to... Or to even use people to our own ends. This is probably where I'm more guilty than anything. Is that I've got this grand vision for this church. I want to see it grow. But if I'm trying to fit people into positions to fulfill my vision, to fulfill my mission, and to to the neglect of them and how they're doing spiritually, then I've missed the point. I've sold out. I've, I've sought my own glory. I've sought my own gain rather than the good of the people. And when we do that, we become abusers. Christian leaders are to measure success in the way that we talked last week from verses 1 through 4. Our, Our ultimate goal is boldness in God, to be commissioned by God, to do all things for the glory of God. If we're seeking gain in anything else, anything other than God, then we can be guilty of becoming abusers. So one of the main reasons the church today is so unhealthy, it's so unlike the church in Thessalonica, I believe is because of abusive Christian leaders. So how do, how do Christian leaders keep from erring? I mean, how can they guard themselves from becoming abusers? After all, we've been given this position with the authority and the privilege and the responsibility that comes with it. And I believe that those things are true, those things are right, those things are good. So what do we do? How do we keep from falling prey to that? Paul recognized that he had authority as an apostle. His position as the apostle of Christ enabled him to make certain demands. It was his position rightfully required a certain level of privilege. I mean, he says it right there in the text, though we could have made demands as apostles. But he recognized, ultimately, well, I should back up. I mean, think about his situation, right? I mean, this is apostle of God, right? He had the ability to speak God's message, to deliver God's very words. God gave him the ability to heal. God gave him the ability even to raise a young boy from the dead. This is some pretty heavy power, some pretty heavy authority. But yet Paul is not willing to abuse that. He's not willing to make demands. Because he realizes, ultimately, that his authority is one that's been delegated to him. 
He's an apostle of Christ. He's an ambassador of Christ, a representative of Christ on God's behalf. His authority was not his own, but it belonged to another, to Christ. And therefore, it was imperative for him that he not abuse it. And so he calls on them. And he says in verse 5 that God is witness. He says, God is witness to how I have been above reproach in all that I do. Paul knew that he was accountable to God who rightly divided the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is God who tests the hearts and minds of all mankind and who would, who would judge the way that Paul used his authority. And that caused him to labor diligently so that he might not be an abuser. But instead, he describes himself as a loving mother. In verses 7 and 8, Paul pictures Christian leadership as a loving mother. Let's look again at the text. He says, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. He says that we were gentle among you. This is probably better translated, we were as infants among you. What do you think about when you think about an infant? You know, Claire was just in here. I mean, when you look at her, she's innocent. She's pure. She's gentle. She's harmless. She can't do anything that's real detriment to you. You know? I mean, even if Claire was to try to, you know, slap you, I mean, what's it really going to do? She's, she's harmless. She's completely gentle. And in the same way, Paul seeks to say, you know what, we have proven ourselves pure and innocent and blameless towards you. Like a newborn, we have done you no harm. And he continues with his analogy. He says, we were like a wet nurse caring for her own children. You see, in those days, those could afford it would hire wet nurses to nurse their children for them. And so from the time the child was born until the child was weaned, that child was cared for by a wet nurse. That, that woman acted as a mother for that child until that child was weaned, which was you know, around two or three or I don't know exactly when. But this woman was like a living nanny. She cared for this child. She fed this child. She took care of this child 24-7. She was in the business of loving and caring for and tending for these children. And so Paul says... Not only are we like a wet nurse, but we're like a wet nurse caring for her own child. And so his line of argument is, is that, well, if a wet nurse is in the duty of caring for children, would she not care for her own child even more? We're in the business of caring for one another, but like this wet nurse caring for her own child, we want to be even more loving, even more desirous, even more uh, endearing and loving, and concerning, and sacrificing. That's what we seek to be. Not just to fulfill our duty, but to love as, a woman, as this wet nurse would for her own child. And then Paul gives, he draws implication from this analogy. He says, therefore, because we were so affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, but also our own lives. Our concern is not just to get the gospel to you, not just to fulfill our mission, not just to do our duty before God. No, we love you. We care about you. We sacrifice ourselves 
for you. We have shared our own selves, our own souls, our own lives with you. We have such a love for you, such a longing for you, that we were pleased to share our lives with you. Like a mother, we were willing to sacrifice ourselves for your good because your lives are bound up with ours. You are that dear to us. According to Tim Chester and Steve Timmis in their must-read Total Church, which if you're a member here at Redeemer and you've not read this book yet, you need to get it and read it. It's a great book. They said, like a mother raising her child, the church at Thessalonica is Paul's investment in the future. His future is bound up with them and their progress in the faith. He will boast in the final day, not in what he has done, but in what they have done. He has staked his reputation before God on them. Paul's life is now bound up with the church. You mothers here probably understand this far better than even us fathers. That there is, is, when you have a child, your life is forever bound up with that child. His hopes become your hopes. And her dreams become your dreams. You're no longer living for yourself to seek your own, but your life is really, it revolves around another. You're not as concerned about your own successes and your own victories and and all this, but you really care about your child's victories. Now, that's true for fathers in a sense. But there's something away about the way that God has created a man and a woman, that, that the man is to lead the home, and that, that has a pursuit that is outward, that is directed towards God. And so some of his success, some of his ambitions are, are godly and, and directed. I mean, they're centered in the family, but they're out this way, where a mother's tends to be much more inclusive, much more centered on that family. Raising their children is not just a task to them that they must perform. It is a sacrifice that they love, that they're pleased to do. And so if I could ask Paul one question about this text, given that it's Mother's Day, and by the way, Happy Mother's Day to all of you, I just want to say thank you for the way that you have sacrificed and loved our children. And let's face it, your husbands as well, because we know that you know, they're pretty much kids themselves, right? But if I can ask Paul one question, given that this is Mother's Day, about this text, I would ask him, so does this mean that Mother's Day should be Pastor's Day, right? Because he said, you know, you're a mother, so, you know. And then I have this double whammy thing because it's my birthday too. So thank you for all the cards and stuff. I, I continue to hope to see those in the future along with presents and money and cake and you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't know. But Paul loves the church as a mother loves her child. Paul loves the Thessalonians that much. And that's the way I feel about you. I want you to know that. I love you guys. I love doing this. This is a sacrifice that is a joy to me. I love it. It doesn't matter how few... It doesn't matter how hard. This is a delight. And thank you for letting me do it. 
My future, my hopes, my are, are affectionately bound up with you. So that I want you to know that I am willing to share with you not only the gospel, but my own life. That's what I'm here to do. So like Paul, I'm, you're dear to me. That's the way that Christian leaders should feel about their churches. They should feel that same way. It's not ultimately about the task. It's not ultimately about the mission or about the duty before God. It's, it's about the people. God's desire was to please God by fulfilling His mission for the good of the people. And so lovingly and sacrificially, He gave Himself for the glory of God and for the good of others. And so we ought to have the same affection for one another. God's intention was not just that we gathered together on Sunday to perform our religious duties. God's intention was not to add Christianity to your life to fill up what is lacking. You know, to just add, add Jesus to what you've already got going on. I mean, we have lives that are so filled, so inundated with stuff. It's not about just coming here and seeing one another once a week and thinking we're having a relationship with one another, that we're really doing something. God calls us to something so much more that we would actually see one another as dear, that we would love one another, that we, like a mother, would have that same sort of desire, that same sort of sacrifice, that same sort of love for one another, that we might share our very selves with one another in a loving caring, authentic community. One of the biggest things lacking in the church today is a willingness to share our lives with one another. We would much rather come in on the Sunday morning and, and present our, our plastic face. Everything's good for me. Let's gather together. Let's sing some songs together. Let's hear a, a sermon preached. And I've done my religious duty for the day. Bam, I'm gone. I'll see you next week. That's not what God intended. God intended for us to do so much more. And if we really want to grow, if we really want to please God, our attitude needs to be like Paul's. We must be willing to lovingly share ourselves with one another because we have become dear to one another. So Christian leaders are not just to use their position to abuse the church, but they're to serve them as a loving, sacrificing mother, and third, as an instructing father. In verse 9, Paul describes how he shared himself with the Thessalonians. So he's describing, this is the way that I've shared myself, okay? That he said in verse 8. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. We shared ourselves by laboring and by toiling night and day so that we might not be a burden to any of you. We have loved you. We've sacrificed for you. We've not by abusing our authority as apostles, but by working diligently to free you from the burden that we have every right to demand. All the while, proclaiming the gospel to you. In order to leave no stumbling block to the gospel, in order to burden them in no way, and so preach the gospel free of charge, Paul chose not to make full use of his right in the gospel in order to leave no stumbling block to his message. Paul made a missionary choice to preach the gospel without burdening this young and unestablished church. 
with the responsibility to share not only in the spiritual blessings, but in the material blessings as well. We don't take this passage then to mean a this is a pattern for the church. I mean, there are some denominations out there that think that you know everybody just kind of needs to be coming in for free. Paul's obviously making this choice, but this is, this is a very different situation than most established churches. And this time, these are brand new Christians. He's only been with them a short time. And so to make demands from them financially, even though he's giving a very spiritual blessing, seemed wrong to him. He didn't want to do that. They didn't feel like he was. they were equipped to do that. Right? But that's not the case today. The reality is it's not a financial burden. It's not a hindrance to the gospel for, for churches to give so that you can have people that can devote themselves, like Paul is, to full-time ministry. So we don't take this as, as a... I guess, doctrine on how the church should be structured. This was Paul's missionary choice. This is why missionaries do this sort of thing. This is why, to some level, I'm doing this sort of thing. But, again, that's a choice, to forego his right in the gospel. Like a father, he provides for his children, and he does not burden them with the responsibility of providing for the family. Paul and his companions have labored diligently to do the same. And he says, not only did they labor, but they also set an example in conduct. In verse 10 he says, you are witnesses, and God also of how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. Again, he calls on them and God to testify to his upright conduct. He says, they've lived holy and righteous and blameless lives before believers. They were holy and righteous and blameless in their message, in their motives, and in their methods. They proved themselves to be pure in those realms. They're, they're, they were true to God's message for them. Their motive was to please God and not to please man. Their methods were commissioned by God himself, and therefore their conduct was holy and righteous and blameless before them. And he says that they displayed it to them in verses 11 through 12 as a father would to his children. He says, For you know how like a father with his children we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you. We instructed you as a father would by teaching, by modeling, and by holding them accountable. Or another way to say it is by exhorting, encouraging, and charging them. In the home in that day, the father was responsible for teaching his children about God and God's ways. Fathers instructed their children about life and about etiquette in the community. He taught them skills for trade. He disciplined them. It was the father to whom the children were accountable. Now, Paul's not developing a theology of parenting here, though there's some major inferences that we can draw from. But instead, he's building a theology of Christian leadership. Remember, Paul embraces both roles of mother and father. And ultimately, we can draw from this passage that Christian leaders are not to lay up heavy burdens on their people, but to labor to bring the gospel to bear so that they might take the yoke of Christ upon them, that yoke which is easy, that burden which is light. They are to live lives that are consistent with their message. Their conduct is to be holy and righteous and blameless before all believers. It is the responsibility of Christian leaders to exhort and to encourage and to charge believers. 
So they are to model, to instruct, and to hold the church accountable to the gospel. And so in these parental pictures, Paul is putting himself forward as a godly example of Christian leadership. Instead of using their positions to abuse the children of God like a mother, they are to be gentle and pure and innocent and harmless. They are to love the congregation, to share with their congregation, to hold their congregation dear. And like a father, they are to model, to instruct, and to hold them accountable before God. But they are to do these things for a purpose. All right? Look at verse 12. Paul says that he exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The reason why Paul describes Christian leadership as a mother and as a father is so that you might walk in a manner worthy of God. He says, so that you too might be approved by God, so that you might not abuse one another, but instead love one another so that you might be gentle and innocent towards one another, so that you might share your lives with one another and sacrifice for one another, so that you might not, bear, you might not burden one another, but rather share in one another's burdens, so that you might be holy, righteous, and blameless in your conduct for one another, so that you might exhort one another, encourage one another, charge one another, Paul is saying that he has served as a spiritual father and a spiritual mother to you so that you might walk in the same manner, worthy of God. So that you might do the same things for one another. So that you might live as spiritual fathers and mothers for others. This is part of what it means to walk in a manner worthy of God. It's not just the responsibility of Christian leaders to serve the church in this way. The goal is for them to lead in a manner so that the whole church might do the same. So that they too might walk in a manner worthy of God. So let me ask you something. Have you held your leaders to a standard that you are unwilling to hold yourself to? Have you sat idly by, leaving the ministry to the pastors? Let them do all the sacrificing. Let them do all the loving. Let them do all the instructing. Leaders lead so that others would follow. Right? So that they would get to the same place at roughly the same time. If leaders are just leading and no one's following, they're not leading anymore. They're just leaving. Right? The point is so that others follow. So that they can get to the same place. And when I say place, I don't mean location as in heaven. We kind of think like that. I mean places in spiritual state. So that we all might be holy. So that we all might be blameless. So that we all might be righteous. So that we all might be mature in Christ. So that we all might bear the image of God. As we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Until we all reach maturity in faith. To unity of faith. The fullness of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's where we're going. Leaders just lead out in it. But everybody is responsible for doing it as well. It's not just the responsibility of Christian leaders, but of all Christians. 
We are each called to live like Paul, to walk in a manner worthy of God. We are to be holy as God is holy. Not just because Paul says to, and not just because your pastor says to, but because God says to. God is the one that says that. He says, be holy as I am holy, and he's not kidding around. This is not a double standard. This is not an artificial standard. This is God's standard. The God who commits no sin, who lives perfectly, who always does good, who always is righteous. He always does the right thing. He never errs, never sins, never deviates from what is absolutely true, what is absolutely perfect. He calls you to the same thing. This God says, I call you into my own kingdom and glory. The reality is we're sinners. I'm not holy and perfect. I mean, even if I could live a life worthy of God from this point on, I've I've got all my life, (coughs) excuse me, at least 32 years of sin that I have to deal with. I, I can't do that on my own. I have no hope in and of myself. And the wages of that sin is death. That's it. I deserve the eternal punishment of God because I have rebelled against Him time and time again. And God would not be holy. God would not be righteous. God would not even be loving if He were to just overlook that sin. So God calls you into His own kingdom and glory. He calls you into His own glory, His holiness. And that's a real call. But that's also a precious promise to us. Because he who calls us into his own kingdom and glory has made a way for us to be in his own kingdom and glory. Through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came and lived that holy, perfect, righteous, blameless life that you and I cannot. And he laid that down as a sacrifice for our sins. He took on himself the punishment that our sins deserved. And on the third day, He rose again to prove that there is no longer any punishment for death. That His sacrifice was sufficient to forgive us of our sin. But it also guarantees that one day all will rise again and all will stand in judgment before Him. And we can either stand on ourselves and our own holiness, righteousness and God before God, or we can stand on the righteousness, the holiness, the blamelessness, of another. That's the options that we have. For those who repent of their sin, who recognize that they have rebelled against God in word, in thought, in deed, they've gone about hating God and living as an enemy of God, living for themselves, regardless of what God thinks, for them they will suffer eternal punishment. But for those who recognize, God, I've sinned against you. And my sin, it's not breaking some arbitrary moral code like the speed limit that somebody just happened to set. No, when I tell a lie, I'm denying who you are because you are a God of truth. God, when I lust, I'm I'm sinning against you because you are a God of purity, a a covenant-keeping, faithful God who delights in wonderful things. I'm denying who you are in my sin. This is a personal front against you. And I'm sorry. I'm going to turn from that. Forsake it. Forget it. Leave it behind. And with your grace, 
live by faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Not to live for myself, but to live for Him who died for me. This God who calls us into His own kingdom and glory, when we live by true repentance and faith, sanctifies us through the work of His Spirit by the blood of His Son. We are transformed from one degree of glory to another as we look on Christ. This is an amazing thing that we actually become what we behold. As we behold our Savior, as we seek Him, as we love Him, we are being transformed to be like Him until one day as we arrive in God's kingdom and glory, we are then like Him because God has done this work. He will surely do it. He will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. This is a great promise to all who truly believe and are trusting in Christ. So where does that leave you? Where are you today in that? These parental pictures of Christian leadership are not just for pastors, but they're for all of us. May we not abuse one another, but instead love, care for, share with, instruct, model, and hold one another accountable as we live together as a redemptive community of gospel-centered people. That's why God has centered this in the church. We need one another. I need you. You need each other. And by God's grace, some of you might actually need me. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word and how it serves as a mirror to us to allow us to reflect upon our own lives. God, I pray that as we're sitting here, that we would reflect on you rightly, that we would see who you are, that you are a perfect, holy God, that you are not like us in any way, but you are so far above us and beyond us. You are completely good, completely righteous, completely blameless. And because of that, you deserve all glory. You are a transcendent God. But yet, you are a God who is so near. You are imminent. You are with us right now in this place. And you have revealed yourself so intimately, so perfectly, through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that you sent him to live the life that we cannot and to lay it down as a substitute for us. God, I pray that we would see the truth and beauty of the gospel, that you offer us reconciliation, a hope of a restored relationship for eternity in your kingdom and glory, a relationship that we don't deserve. And as a result, God, I pray that we would be changed by that. I pray that it would change the way we do everything. I I pray that it would change the way that we relate to one another. That we would not go about abusing one another to seek our own glory, to seek our own gain for greediness, to seek our our own possession, our own position, our own power. But instead, we would love one another. That we would see how much we need one another. That we would carry one another's burdens because we love one another. We're willing to sacrifice for one another. 
And God, may we also re- realize the, the privilege and the responsibility that comes with the gospel. That to be a disciple, we are the disciple makers. That we have been given this charge to model, and to instruct, and to hold one another accountable. And God, may we take that seriously until we all reach maturity, to unity of the faith, until the day that we can behold Jesus and be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.